Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. You know, last week, we talked about the author Ron Mel and his incredible idea that the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, are actually, well, a love letter from God to us. And remember, the, the idea of a love letter is really a way to see the heart and the love and the care that a person has for somebody else. It's these ten words. They're, they're just so all-encompassing. They're They're touching virtually every part of our lives. The truth in the ten words, when we apply them into our lives, folks, they provide blessing and strength, a future and a hope. They provide unity, law and order, significance and purpose, fulfillment and peace. You know, some people, understandably so, but they view or they imagine the Ten Commandments to be just this harsh, harsh and, and oppressive thing. They don't hear the love. They don't hear the heartbeat of a loving, caring father. They actually think they're hearing that God is saying, if you disobey me, I'll squish you like a bug. But Rabbi Zacharias has a little different take on it. Quote, he says, when we think of commands, we always think of restriction. We always think of hindrance. We always think of the elimination of freedom. Someone once said, he goes on to say, whenever you remove a fence, always pause long enough to ask, why was the fence there to begin with? There's an amazing verse in Psalm 119, verse 96. It says, to all perfection, I see a limit. But your commands are boundless. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have thought it would have been the other way around. I would have thought that the laws would have had a limit and that that perfection would be boundless. But no, God says it the other way. He's trying to let us know that there is no limit to the laws of God. They actually bring freedom. Well, when we do things God's way, when we're doing life with with God's parameters around us, with those boundaries all about us, there is a limitless, a, a perpetual novelty Novelty meaning the the quality of newness, meaning it's going to be over and over again. The newness will be new again, new again, new again. If the Ten Commandments are given to mankind from God the Father, then the question arises, why? To, To what purpose and what meaning is to be understood about the giving of the Ten Commandments? We know that the commandments focus on how humanity is to be in relationship with God and and with one another. And that we are not 
because of the Ten Commandments, to victimize our relationship with others and towards God. Which raises the question, what's wrong with victimizing human beings? What's wrong with it is because is that human beings have great value. We are entities of real worth. How can people be entities of real worth if they weren't created by the divine God himself? It's not just the idea that we must just be some random creation made out of, well, you know, the product of time and matter and chance. No. We were designed in the image of God himself. So immediately, the, the moment we speak about ethics or doing things with boundaries or parameters, the more one is assuming that, that humanity, that humans have worth, then the only way to, to assume human worth is to agree with the Judeo-Christian belief. That teaching that we are made in the image of God. Which means the Ten Commandments are still relevant and real. And, and they show us how and direct us to love God and to love others. Is that not also what Jesus was teaching us in the greatest commandment? And the second is just like it, to love others? The Ten Commandments, they guide us into understanding the value and the values of God. Places that how God places value on relationship with you, with humanity. How we're to have value, place value on family and friends and those in our community. To think that the Ten Commandments are archaic, that they're irrelevant, that they're insignificant for our modern times is to miss everything God is trying to say. It's to miss the heart of God. How can any modern day scholar look at the top ten, the ten words, the Ten Commandments, how can they look at that and say, um... The idea of stealing, the idea of murder, the idea of adultery, those are all ridiculous and not needed in our society today. The truth is, is nobody has a problem with the, the last six commandments of the Bible because those six commandments deal with our, re, our relationship with other people. I think where a lot of people have trouble is with the first four commandments of the ten. Because they deal with the relationship between God and man. And most importantly, man towards God. And they want to be God themselves. Isn't that ultimately what the issue between Adam and Eve was? They wanted to eat the apple so they could be in power. So they could be in control. And literally, they had forgotten that they were the creation created by God. Folks, we're living in unprecedented times. 
But this is not the first time that the strategy of using a radical group to cause division, to overthrow a nation and in, in the attempt to be able to conquer a people. This isn't new. We've seen it throughout all history, throughout all the Bible history as well. Between the pandemic that we're in, the amount of political tension and, and corruption, the radical groups that are rioting in the streets, the violence, and the destruction of people's property and businesses, the lawlessness, the blood, the murder, and the airwaves that are full of deceit that we see on our phones and our devices. That light is actually dark, they tell us, and dark is actually light. That sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet. That good is evil and evil is good. The Bible says through the prophet Isaiah, I read this last week and I want to read again. Isaiah 5 verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow. Folks, there's only one who makes the standard. His name is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He loves us. He's not trying to restrain us. He's trying to bring us true, authentic freedom that we could experience revival. You know, in the midst of this rebellion, there's a, there's a remnant, a people of God who are bowing down and they're saying, oh God, forgive us. They're repenting. They're seeking His face and they're pouring out to God as they pray, and as they pray, and as they pray, oh God, heal our land. They're quoting 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. See, the body of Christ is praying right now. Don't lose hope. And the question is, are you? Get apart. There's plenty of room at the table. Let's all get on our knees before God. There is great hope in a nation that prays, that repents, that seeks the will of God. God gave us the Ten Commandments because they are the foundation. They're fundamental to building a life, to building a family, to building a church, to building a nation. They're the universal foundation to build on top of I said it last week, but I'll say it again. You know, as a baseball player, if an athlete has been hitting the ball really well, and then all of a sudden it's strike one, and it's strike two, and it's strike three, and he's just in a slump over and over again. Every time he goes to bat, he just can't find his swing. Everything's off. The timing's off. His confidence, her confidence is off. And then finally... The coach walks up, says, hey, Marv, come here. When we get back tomorrow, first thing, you and me, 30 minutes before practice, it's time for the fundamentals. We're going to find your swing again. 
And that coach will teach me as though if I had never swung a baseball bat before. He'll teach me how to grip the, the bat. He'll tell me how my hands need to be. He'll show me how to stand. He'll show me where my eyes need to be. He'll teach me how to find the timing, where my elbows need to be, how my hips need to go, how there has to be a pivot on that back foot. He's going to teach me every fundamental there is so that I can have that contact. I can hit the sweet spot. I can hit the square on the bat with the ball, and it will go over the fence. Because that part of my game that I was missing was in the fundamentals, and he's going to find that part for me. In church, we as a nation... We're in a slump. We can't find a way to swing. And God is calling us back to the fundamentals so we can find what we're missing in our game in this thing called faith so that we can come right back up and we can swing for the fences and we can give God all the glory. But we got to be willing to repent. we got to be willing to go back and humble ourselves before God and say, God, I need you. Something's missing in my faith. Take over. Start at the very beginning. Give me everything I need. I realize there might be some some out there that might be asking, well, doesn't the New Testament say that, that we're saved by grace and that we're not under the law? (laughs) Of course, you would be correct. We are saved by grace and we're not under the law. But just because the Jewish dietary laws are of no effect to us, God's moral laws have never changed. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as we study that together, that Sermon on the Mount. We find Jesus saying, hey men, if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, you've already committed adultery. Hey, if you've already called your your brother Raka, you called him fool, you've already committed murder. What is Jesus doing? I mean, he's not removing the Ten Commandments. He's making them more difficult. He's taking it to the issue of the heart. They're still relevant and real for today. My salvation is in the blood of Jesus and his grace. But his moral code has not changed. In all 66 books of the Bible, they're foundational, and we need to embrace them. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture. It doesn't say some Scripture. It doesn't say just the New Testament Scripture. It says all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Don't we need that? Don't we need to know that when I'm doing something over here and it's wrong and I'm really not aware of it, that then all of a sudden the coach says, hey, you're holding that bat wrong. Hey, you're not standing properly. Hey, let's get this correct. See, it's not beating us up, folks. It's correcting us. It's coaching us. To teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So before we dive into Exodus chapter 20, the beginning of the Ten Commandments, I would like for us to pray. See, remember that Moses was instructed by God the Father to get the Hebrew people ready 
said two days for them to consecrate. Go ahead and wash your clothes. Get ready. And on the third day, God would speak to them. Bring revelation to them. Bring them his ten words. I pray this last week you've consecrated yourself. That you've gotten ready. Moses was instructed to take his shoes off, his sandals off, because this was holy, holy, holy ground. The Ten Commandments are holy. We need to come to it with a heart that's humble, with a heart that's repentant, with a heart that is seeking the will of the Father. Well, Father, we thank you and Lord, we do come and we humble ourselves and we ask God, forgive us. Forgive us of our sin, of our secret sins. God, we seek your will. We seek your way. We pray that as we come, Lord, that our hearts would be laid out before you and that we would have ears to hear the Spirit of God. That we have eyes to see what you are showing us in the Scriptures. And Father, that we would have the courage to change those things that are, well, Lord, that are just not right. And Father, we could find that which is missing in our faith. And Lord, we would see victory for the cause of Christ, and you would get all the praise and all the glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and his word. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You know, the, the greatest challenge I face every day is probably the same one you face every day as well. That being maintaining a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ at the level that God desires it to be. It's keeping God first in every area of our life, in every thought, in every emotion of my life. I believe that is why God made the first commandment what it is. Without God being first in our lives, it's impossible to love other people. It's impossible to love yourself. It's impossible to actually love God the way he designed you to. Church, even if we were to honor all the other nine commandments fully without the first commandment in place. There's just no hope for an individual. There's no hope for a family. There's no hope for a community. There's no hope for a church. There's no hope for a nation. That's how vital the first commandment really is. So let's read it. Because everything hinges on the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1, 2 and 3. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. That was a place of slavery, right? The place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. It is time for us to renew our love for God. Our number 
our number one, our one task as believers to make sure that nothing, no idol, no person, no object, no task, no duty, no dream, no pleasure comes before God. That our priorities, our responsibilities, our plans, our passions in our heart all are in subjection to God first. I think this is the number one commandment because it is the most challenging part of being a fully devoted Christian. Making God first and not ourselves. Being selfish is easy. Ask any two and three year old. Life can be so simple to say, it's all about me, myself, and I. But that's in violation of the first commandment. And it always leads down a path to destruction. Being a Christian is, is being in relationship with God Almighty. Did you know that the Lord is very, very concerned with the condition of your heart towards Him? I mean, this is foundational for the Ten Commandments. The other nine have nothing if we can't get one down. It's how important this commandment is. King Solomon would have learned the very first commandment as a very young boy. And I believe this was in his mind, this was in his heart when he wrote this in Proverbs. Here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, Marvin. I kind of added that part. Seeks his will in all you do, and he will show you what path to take. With all your heart means, with all our opportunities, with all of our undertakings, we seek God with all of our heart. It says, seek his will in all you do. This is referring to being in relationship with God, not just to study to know about God. We're, we're not to be students in some secular college who are, I'm a scholar because I studied a bunch of, you know, works of antiquity. Our Bible is not a work of antiquity. It is living and breathing and real right now. Seek His will in all you do. This also means that God is committing Himself to removing any hindrance or obstacles that stand in the way of His destined purpose for you. God will reveal not only the path that you are to take, but He will make that path straight for you to see. If we seek Him first in all things. He guarantees that. Notice that we must not depend or, or trust on our own understanding. The truth is our own human understanding, it's inadequate. It's limited. It's flawed because of our sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But not God's understanding. See, God's understanding is complete. It's full. It lacks nothing including knowing the future, the present, and the past. God knows everything. He knows everything that happened to you, good and bad. He knows what will happen to you, and God knows all of that and says, trust me, trust my understanding for your future. It's important to know 
that the ten words from God were not given to just be a guide, but a warning as well. For some people, they see the ten words from God as having a, that stern quality and that, that uh, thou shalt not this, and thou shalt not that. And they're just like, oh my gosh, look at God up there with the Louisville baseball bat. He's going to hit me anytime now. And we're missing it. You see, when you have to warn somebody that you love, that they're about to step into danger in just one more step, if they take it, are you quiet? Are you calm, mama? When you see that little darling running to get the ball in the street, are you sweet, mama? When you see that vicious dog is off its leash and it's coming, are you quiet? Are you sweet and little petweet? When there's danger and it's about to threaten the well-being of those you love, how are you? Are you not stern? Are you not firm? Because you are warning the one you love. Danger is coming. Stop! Stop! Turn back! I mean, that's what God's doing. Look here, when we look into Ezekiel, right here, verse th chapter 33, verse 11, here's how we see the heart of the Father. As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn! Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? That's the heart of the Father. That's why he says, put me first in all things. Have no other gods before me. He's warning us. Every time you, me, anybody has ever put something else in front of God, it always ends in pain, in destruction, in suffering. God is telling us. He's warning us. Because he loves us. Can you hear it again? Can you hear that God is saying, stop, stop, turn back. Come here, child. I'll bring you safety and I'll point you in the right path. I'll even make the path straight so you'll see. Maybe somebody's asking, what does the first commandment have to do with my life today? <laughs> oh, how God desires to be your heavenly Father. God wants to care for you. Did you hear that? Did you know God wants to care for you? That's why he's saying, have no other gods before me. I want to care for you. That's why this matters. He knows that no one and that there's no thing out there, that there's no drug, that there's no alcohol, there's nothing out there that can care for you and take care of you and give you a hope and give you a future like God can. 
He's not trying to bind you. He's trying to free you. Oh, Psalm 116, verse 1. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Verse 2, because He bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Do you see the heart of the Father, how He's bending down to listen? Did you see how the psalmist really captured this dynamic of relationship between Him and God? Where He says, I love the Lord because He, meaning God, hears my voice, and my prayer for mercy. So what happens when we make sure that God is first in our lives? Well, it will make an impact on the people all around you. You cannot put God first and think that other people are not going to notice. People can't help but sense that there's something different about you. It's like the story of this amateur guitarist who was connected to this master guitar player and got free lessons. One lesson, two weeks, one month, three months, four months. And this amateur guitarist became phenomenal. They all gathered together, this amateur guitarist, we'll call him Joe, and with all of their friends, and they said, Joe, pull out your guitar, play us something. He says, okay, what would you like? They said, just play whatever you like. He says, I'll do that. He tunes it up, and then you, before you know it, he just starts playing a riff. And he starts doing things that nobody knew his guitar could do. And when he was done, the, the, nobody said a word. They just stared at him. And finally somebody said, Hey Joe, where did you learn how to do that? He goes, Hey guys, I've, been, I've just been practicing, you know. Somebody else says, Uh-uh. Yeah, you might have been practicing, but that's more than practice. You've been with a master guitarist. I can see it in your eyes. Even the way you move your head, it shows. You see, when you put God first, other people are going to see it. And they're going to see your Father's eyes in you. Peter understood this. Peter got this truth, and so much so that he wanted to give us some understanding to be ready so we would know what to do when somebody asks us, you have your father's eye. What's, what, what? There's something different about you. And it says here, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, just like the first commandment. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We're to have an answer. Because people are going to see Jesus in you. When you put God first, they're going to see it. And they're going to know, want to know what's it all about. As we close, let me share this, this story about an eight-year-old boy he was sitting in class, and he was taking a big test. 
He became so nervous and so distraught about completing the test on time that suddenly he noticed that there was some wetness in his pants. And then there was a little puddle underneath him. He was so filled, full of fear, and he was so embarrassed. He looked up in time to all of a sudden see the teacher motioning him to come to her desk. Oh my gosh, the horror of it all. What am I going to do? Well, the teacher noticed that he wasn't coming, so she got up and was coming down the aisle to him. Just then, at that moment, behind him walking, which he did not see, was this other little girl with this fish bowl with a few little goldfish in it, and she timed it in such a way that she fell, and all the water fell all over his front lap. There was the breaking of the glass and the flipping and the flopping of the fish and everybody was hooting and hollering and screaming and immediately our little guy was so relieved oh praise god oh praise god there is a god but then he realized that eight-year-old little boys are not supposed to like girls so he quickly got up and said Hey, you clumsy buffoon, watch, what are you doing? And the whole class started laughing and pointing at the little girl. Well, the teacher got a hold of this little guy and took him to the gymnasium where he was now recovered with dignity. And there she found some old gym clothes to give him for the rest of the day. The bell rang and it was time for lunch. And nobody, nobody ate or sat with that little girl. She was all alone. Nobody played with her at recess. Finally, the end of the day came. And, it, and the bell rang. Our little guy got out, and then he started looking, and there she is, that little girl, walking by the side of the fence, all alone, going home. He see, he started to reflect on the whole event, and he realized something. So, by instinct, he just quickly ran up to her, and he said, he said, can I ask you something? She looked over at him. Yeah. That wasn't an accident today, was it? She goes, no. She goes, I, I, I know what it's like. I saw what happened. I wet my pants one time too. And I just thought I'd help you out. He didn't even know how to say thank you. You know, when I heard that story and I thought, Lord, I don't ever want to forget what you've done for me. Let's just say with my sins, I've, I've wet my pants. But Lord, you saw my predicament. 
and you spilled your precious blood all over me. And you covered my sins and my shame. You saw my hopeless situation. And you rescued me. You've given me dignity and you've given me hope. And a reason and a purpose to get up out of bed every morning and fight the good fight. Why should I ever want to put anyone or anything in front of God? Why should I tolerate other gods in my life? Why should I look for other saviors? Jesus came along and took my embarrassment and took my shame. Oh, how I love my Lord. That's the reason we can hold our hope for others. Because He loves them just as much. That's the reason we can say, put God first and He'll cover you from all your past. If God has forgiven me, God can forgive you. How could I? How can we? How can you want to put anything but God first? Father, I pray for each and every person watching today. Lord, if we need to repent and say, forgive me, God. I, I've loved you, Lord, but you've been third or fourth place. God, forgive me. You and you alone have first place. Not me. Not anything. So God, I repent. And I humble myself. And I honor the first commandment. Your will, your way. Your king. Your Lord. I love you. Have your will in my, in my life, I pray, Lord. God, I pray for your people. I pray you bless them. I pray they embrace that these ten words are ten loving words from a loving Heavenly Father who cares for them. In Jesus' holy name, amen. God bless you. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.